You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. take your seats so good so yeah this time tomorrow I will be on a flight I made the mistake of looking at the seating plan and it's not good news people I am middle seat all the way 18 hours uh, fun times but Ben is obsessed with making sure I don't get a migraine so it's like hydration crazy so I'm downing bottles of water like no one believe this is not thought through though the fact that I've got to now preach for half an hour so if I suddenly say talk amongst yourselves no questions asked, okay? Uh, trying to prepare to fly and preach. This is the problem with sacrifices. Um, but yeah, please do be praying for us. There's some incredible things we're going to be doing over there. Um, obviously, some of the stuff you'll see on social media, what it looks like is, oh, look at them. They're just sat in coffee shops all the time eating cakes, But um, which is obviously what we're really doing. And there is definitely a day I'm at the beach. Uh, but a lot of the stuff that we're doing cannot be put on social media for obvious reasons. Um, but just be praying for some stuff. When we land, we're, we're, we're kind of hitting the ground running. Within two hours, we're doing stuff. So please pray that I'm well. Last two times, not come back well. So let's just pray that um, the Cambodian food finally grieves my stomach and um, that, uh, that God moves and protects us. Uh, but it's such a privilege as a church that we pay some of their staff over there. So we're going to go and see some of the staff. Remember a couple of years ago in lockdown, we built a house. We paid for a house. We built for one of their team members. So just incredible to walk past that house and think, we paid for that. Like, just amazing part of what God's doing. Uh, but let's just pray before we open the word of God. Lord God, we thank you that you are so good. You are so faithful. You are so for us. And even when we don't see it, God, we know that you are working things together. God, we pray right now. Would you awaken our awareness of you, Jesus? Amen. Amen. So I've got two kids. Well, they're not really kids now. One's an adult and one's almost an adult. And uh, there's the perks and disadvantages of having kids. Those of you who are considering it, this is some insight for you. Um, disadvantage is the floor's always sticky. 18 years on, I don't know what the stickiness is, but it's been in our house for 18 years. When we've moved, the stickiness has moved. Towels are never dry. Anyone else recognize this? Uh, I don't know what happens to them in that bathroom, but they are never dry. Uh, the good thing is, though, you get better snacks uh, because you feel more justified in buying party rings and stuff like that when there's kids. Even if they don't eat them, I eat them, but you feel like that's good. Uh, and there's places that you can go with them that it's not really approved of if you don't have any children, like soft play centers. Now, Soft play centres are, in one hand, a form of torture. And I think the sound that you hear at soft play centre could be used as a torture or punishment for people because that is like another level. Anyone who ever complains about the noise here should go to a soft play centre and then they'd be glad to come to church because uh, it's just awful. But soft play centres also have slides and stuff like that, which is good. And uh, you can't go as a 42-year-old on your own to a soft play centre and think, what should I do today on my day off? I know, I'll go on some slides. You really have to take someone with you. So there's advantages to having children. You get to go to a place like that. And when Asher was about two, I haven't told him telling this story, but um, it's too late now. Um, so <laughs> when Asher was about two, I decided he would like to go to a wildlife park. Didn't really like animals that much, but I like giraffes. And so I, we're like, we're going and we're justified now because we have a toddler. So we went to uh, South Lake Wildlife Park and we'd done preparation with him beforehand. We'd bought a book of pictures of animals and he'd learnt the noises. He's still learning some of them. You're doing well, aren't you, Ash? Um, 
Monkeys, have you learned that one yet? Can you do the monkey? No, no, still struggling with that one. Maybe Tim and Sharon can help them later. Um, so we're learning monkey noises. We're learning, oh, look, here's a bird. Here's a giraffe. What do giraffes do? What do they don't really make a noise. So that's a hard one. What do penguins walk like? And so we did all this kind of education. What does a lion do? So he'd be like, rah. Like, yeah, that's right. We're going to see a lion. And so we got to the wildlife park. We looked at the animals. We fed the giraffes. It was a great day. His favorite part by far was the gift shop which basically, he just kept wanting to go back to shop. And we're like, no, that's just Poundland with an extra zero on the top of this chat that you get in there. And fruit shoots, they were like the highlight for him, fruit shoots and the gift shop. But finally, in the back corner of the safari park was the, the highlight. There was the lion. We had waited for the lion. We we're excited for the lion. We got to where the lion is. Kind of pulled him up in his little push chair, and I was like, Ash, look, lion. And he was like, Bud. And I was like, No, lion. And he just kept just going, Bird. And I was like, Oh, no, we've got a broken one. <laughs> Doesn't know the word. I haven't done enough training with him. He thinks a lion, the word's bird. And then I realized he was pointing at a little sparrow that was in front of the lion and just pointing, Hello, bird, bird, bird. And I'm like, Lion behind it bird and then was like talking to this bird like we have sparrows in our garden they like our garden we don't have lions in our garden and I'm like we have driven you three hours if you've ever driven a toddler that's a feat of something else to see a lion he liked lions in the books and I'm like Asha lion bird and, I'm like, oh. and then all of a sudden the lion made his presence well known I don't know if you've ever heard a lion roar but uh, I don't think I had until that moment and uh, it was like the ground rumbled and the tree shook as the lion opened its mouth and let this roar out that just was phenomenal, like a noise I haven't heard before. And suddenly, Asher started to compete for the level of noise with his screams as he realized, in fact, behind the lion, uh, behind the bird was a lion and he had said hello. And so then all the way back, we had to kind of run with him in the push chair. And I know like lions, I know like lions, I know like lions. And it took a while to ever convince him to go back anywhere where there might be lions. And for a while, are there lions there? No, there's no lions at church. I can guarantee no lions. Had to keep checking with Colleen. No lion crafts. We're not doing any sort of, no Daniel in the lion's den. We're not talking about the lions at all because lions are scary. And here's the thing I want to talk today about a perspective. When he was looking at the lion, all he could see was in right in front of him this tiny bird that was kind of inconsequential. I mean, not to people who like birds or God, but to me, I'm like, this is just a sparrow. But sometimes we miss the bigger picture of what's happening. Think about your mornings, your Sunday morning. I'm going to paint a picture and see if you relate to this. You wake up on a Sunday morning, you're excited for church, you know that God could move. You know that this might be the day you get your breakthrough. This is going to be a day where you're going to worship with your church family. You know that at the very least, your kids are going to be without you for 40 minutes so you can have a break. You know that, that, that there's going to be a word of God preached. There's going to be an opportunity for you to respond. You're excited to be in church with your family. You, you then have coffee that's still warm. And it's good. You have toast that's just level three, perfect toast temperature. Butter's melting, but it's still warm. It's a good morning. You do your hair. Your hair looks normal and good. Makeup's all there, and you're fine. And then you just think, just before I leave for church, and your kids are dressed, and everything's okay, and you're ready, you're excited for God to move. You just think, oh, before I go, 
because I'm going to be organized. I'm going to get the washing out, put it into dry. So by the time I get back, the uniforms are ready. I'm going to be organized today. My world's going great. Everything's good. And so you get down, you empty the washing machine, you open it, and the black washing that should be black is covered in tiny bits of tissue. And you lose your freaking mind. Because you have told them six billion times, check the pockets. Anyone relate to this? A lot of people. Interestingly, it's mainly one gender that are raising their hand on this. Um, and you shout. Child number one gets angry because that's probably their fault. Child number two starts crying. Husband is confused. Why is this such a big issue? And then suddenly it becomes the issue of the day. You don't want to go to church anymore because you can't stand sitting in with this family any longer. But you know you're going to have to go because if not, your life group leader is going to message you about where were you. And you don't feel like a tissue is a good enough reason to explain it. But you know that deep down this is a, an attack on your personality. Uh, and you go to church and you with gritted teeth, you worship because so told you to. And you put your hands up and you, and you just, it's ruined the day. Why? Because of a tissue. Anyone relate to a small thing absolutely throwing your day? The lion's there, but you're focused on the sparrow. Maybe it's not a tissue. Maybe it's a text. Day's going fine. All of a sudden, you get a text, and you're like, Argh! the text. Why would they say this? Why would they not say this? Or you see something on Instagram that you weren't invited to. I mean, you might have been. You don't check your messages, but you probably weren't invited to, and so you get offended, or you, you, you hear about something, and it gets into your spirit, or someone cuts you off when you're driving, and suddenly you are completely thrown by this event that happened. You've stopped focusing on the lion, you focus on the sparrow. Sometimes the thing that throws you off course isn't a small thing like a tissue in a pocket or a text. Sometimes you're on your way somewhere, you're following the purpose of God, you're walking in step with him, and something happens that you did not see coming. You get sick. And I'm not talking a cold, you get sick that it starts to hinder your life. Someone that you love dies. Uh, and you, you don't expect it. No one hopes for it. But suddenly that's happened. Uh, something happens to you. A, a deep hurt happens. A sadness comes. And then you start to lose hope. We're going to talk in the, the, in the Bible today about some people that said they had hope. I wonder how many of us had hope about something and then our reality is that that's not really what we're living in. We had hope that by now we'd be married. We had hope by now we'd have a baby. We had hope by now we'd be financially secure. We had hope by now we'd stop walking around and around the same thing over and over again. We had hope we'd be free of anxiety. We had hoped our kids would be in church again. We had hope that we'd um, be free of this sickness. We had hope we'd be healed. And yet our reality is right now that that is not what we're living in. Here's what happens. If you think of it like this, which way is which? If we think of this as hope, we had hope. We'd come to the front of a service maybe or Rise Conference or something and we'd prayed and we'd hoped, God, would you heal me? God, would you, would you restore me? God, would you fix my marriage? God, would you help me kind of get a grip on this? God, would you do something? But our reality is actually if we're honest, and we're not just smile and wave Christians and pretend everything's fine all the time and dead easy. Our reality is quite separate. We had hoped, but our reality is not been realized yet. 
And often what happens between the two is this thing called disappointment. We had hoped, but then disappointment set in. So let's turn our Bibles, and you can look at the screen as well. It's going to be on there. Luke 24, we're going to learn about some people who had hoped, and then they got distracted and disappointed. So uh, Luke 24, it's on the screen. Now the same day, two of them were leaving, going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing as he walked together? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word, word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, the third, this is the third day since it took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and slow to believe. All the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked on the road and opened scriptures to us? We had hoped he was the one. So two men who'd been following Jesus uh, were walking, and, and they'd seen some stuff. They had gone through some trauma. You know, we read the Bible with understanding of what's going to happen. We know about Easter. We know what it represents. We know about the ascension. We know that next is Acts coming, and, and they want to be around for Acts because that's when the Holy Spirit comes. We read it as a full, complete story, but they are in the story. So they're walking to a place. They've, they've been in Jerusalem. They've seen all this stuff happen. They've lived through some awful stuff. They've seen and heard and smelled and experienced awful, awful things. And they're just like, I, I don't know what to do. What do you do when everything kind of goes wrong? Well, you go back home sometimes. So he, they decide to walk back home. And I love this story because they're walking home and it's about seven miles, about three and a half hour journey. Unless you're Dan Hoyle, then it's a lot quicker. But um, they're walking home and Jesus is suddenly there. And he just says, what are you talking about? And I love that. And so we don't know exactly what they're talking about, but I wonder if it's something like this. Well, Jesus, how can you have not, well, they wouldn't have known Jesus, but Master, how can you not know what we're talking about? I mean, have you not heard? We're talking about this man, Jesus. And Jesus was this man who came and, and he wasn't like any other teacher before. I mean, we've heard good teaching, but this is a whole different level. This man unpacked scriptures and made it come alive to us. It was like suddenly it made sense. It was like Isaiah was stood there in the room. He did incredible things. He didn't just teach. You see, he healed people, not just the normal people, but the ones that nobody else wanted to speak to. Jesus spent time with women who were 
ostracized, with lepers even. He touched and healed them. And the rulers, well, they didn't really like him because they didn't stick to the rules. He did healings on Sabbaths. He did healings in places he shouldn't have been, apparently. Like there was incredible things. Like one day we were in a house and all of a sudden it was jam-packed and we were watching Jesus talking and Jesus was healing and no one could get in. And all of a sudden, do you remember, there was, there was bits falling and we looked up and there's blokes ripping the roof of this poor person's house and lowering in someone. And I can imagine Jesus being like, and then what happened? And they're like, well, then this guy comes down on the mat and Jesus said, what do you want? And we just assumed he wanted to be not lame anymore. But Jesus asked him a question, healed him internally and externally. Like it was incredible. And then this other day, we're on the mountainside and we're listening to him teaching and more and more people come and everyone's hungry. And Jesus feeds us, thousands of us, with a little boy's pat lunch. And I just imagine they're telling these stories and stories and stories. Of, and then this one day, this lady came and touched him. And everyone was trying to touch him, but he recognized her being different. There's something had happened. She was healed. I think they talked story after story after story. And then they say, one day, it was really good. Just last week, really, it was like suddenly everything made sense. Everybody got who he was. See, he entered the city, not on a horse like you'd expect, but on a donkey of all things. And the whole city came out and worshipped him and said, Hosanna, and waved palm leaves and laid down coats. And it was just like the city was electric. We knew he is the one, the Messiah that our parents told him. We couldn't wait to see what happens next. It was great. Ever had a day where everything's going great before? And then well, then it got weird. And I wonder if Jesus said, well, what happened next? And he said, well, then it got weird because then there was rumors of him being arrested, but no one could quite say what he was arrested for because Jesus wasn't just a nice person. He was a good person. All he did was good and kind and lovely and, and amazing. And, and he healed all these people and yet they arrested him. But we knew we knew Jesus. He's going to do something incredible. He's going to pull it out of the bag because a while ago he walked on water and, and made dead people come alive. So no soldier is going to be able to pin him down. Surely. So we waited for a miracle. We prayed for a miracle. And then we heard more things of him being tortured and beaten and rumors that he was going to go on a cross. But we knew that couldn't happen because it's Jesus. And then we stood at Calvary and we watched him being hung on a cross like a commoner and like a thief between two bad people. Here is Jesus. And we knew this can't happen because they can't kill the one that we had hoped was about to be Messiah. And yet that's what happened. We'd hoped this was the end of what we've gone through. And yet here's Jesus on a cross. And we waited. Maybe an angel was going to come and take him off. Or maybe he was going to do something incredible. But he just died like an ordinary person. They took his body to a tomb. We had hoped this was, this was the start of something incredible. And it's gone wrong. And now some women have gone to anoint his body with oil. And prepare him for burial. And he's disappeared. And they've got all sorts of theories. And Peter's got involved. But Peter's traumatized and doesn't know what he's talking about. They're saying that he's been taken by angels. Or he's alive or something. We don't know. But all we know is we had hoped, but our reality is now he's dead. You ever hope for something, and then the reality is totally different. It's interesting, this verse 16, where it says, they were kept from recognizing him. It's a weird verse, because why? Why is this story in the Bible? Why? Because, you know, the Bible could have had thousands, millions of other stories, and yet this one's in it. Why? 
Why was it kept from recognizing? Well, there's a few theories. One is this. It could be that his body and face were so badly disfigured by what he'd gone through that they couldn't recognize that it's him. could have been that because his beard was possibly ripped out or all these things. It could be that that's why they couldn't recognize him. Or another theory, and my theory is this, that they were so distracted, so disappointed, so stuck in this bit between their reality and their hope that they weren't even looking up. They were consumed with what they'd gone through. And disappointment is a really, really hard emotion to walk through. And I think it's even harder as a Christian, if we're totally honest. And in this church, we don't do kind of fake, like, ah, everything's fine, because sometimes it's not fine. Sometimes disappointment is a reality that we are in. We've prayed, and yet our reality is not yet. Two weeks ago, when Pastor Ed was here preaching, um, I don't know if you remember, some of you might remember that I was leading the service and we um, had this whole time where we prayed for each other and the Holy Spirit was so powerful and God was moving. And um, I had hoped that Noah, my 15-year-old, would get healed. That was my hope. I'd come ready, believing for a miracle. And by the end of the service, I was on the way to James Cook with him because he got so poorly quite quickly. Uh, and I remember, like, I had put the t- things together and thought, Oh, that's not great. I just prayed for a miracle, and now it's even worse that he's literally having ECG in hospital by the end of the service. Uh, but when he said to me, Mum, I thought I might get healed today, but uh, now I'm in hospital. <laughs> it, it's hard, and this is the reality that we're sometimes living. We had hoped, but our reality is sometimes very far from that. So what do we do? How do we manage? How do we juggle this? How do we live still with hope, even when our reality is very different? How do we not get overwhelmed with our, dist- um, with our disappointment? Here's the crazy thing about this story. They had hoped. Jesus is back on the earth, back from the dead, risen in full bodily function. He's there, fully man, fully God. Uh, and if I was back from the dead, I have some theories of what I would do. If I was Jesus, I was thinking out this, the first place I'd go to is the rulers who killed me. I'd feel like, guess he's back, back again. <laughs> um, and the various other kind of 90s songs that are coming to my head right now that I will not sing. Uh, might be more tired in Barney's, so they might pop out a bit more. Um, but I just, you'd be like, hello, you tried to kill me, I get knocked down and I get back up again, all those sorts of ones, and all the memes that you can think of, and I'm here, and you tried to kill me, but here I am. And then make this, the, you know, maybe have a little bit of fun with it, pretend to be a ghost or something, I don't know, I'm not Jesus, obviously. But I, I would have had some sort of good, good idea of going to the rulers and kind of making sure they knew they were very wrong in what they did. I'd then probably want to go to a mountaintop and be quite visual to people, and probably have some sort of thunder and lightning show, and be like, ah, and like, you know, have some sort of like, great moment where the whole of the city is like, we are wrong, Jesus, you are right, and make sure everyone knew me. I wouldn't be walking, really ever, because I don't like to walk, but seven miles, (laughs) for honest, if I'm only back for 40 days, I'm not spending them walking with people. Um, I haven't spent them in a coffee shop. Um, but we, we wouldn't be walking seven miles with people who are so seemingly unimportant, only one of the names is mentioned. Like, these aren't the big players. These aren't the Peter, James, and Johns. These are Cleopas, who we don't know a lot about, and another one whose name isn't even in it. Jesus was back on the earth, resurrected for 40 days, which is 960 hours. If we assume he slept still, that's about 280 hours of those he'd be asleep, which leaves 680 hours of activity left. That's not that many. 
He spent about three and a half of them with these people, ready to walk these miles. These people who were disappointed, who were struggling. And Jesus wasn't just there by accident. He didn't just kind of pop up and be like, oh, well, I don't know what I'm going to do today. I've got some time to fill, so I guess I'll just join these ramblers. Just go for ramble. It was predetermined. It was a decision that Jesus made. I'm going to walk with these people. And I think this is one of the most beautiful pictures of how Jesus is in the midst of our disappointment. I had hoped that they'd still be alive. I had hoped that I'd still have a job. I had hoped that they wouldn't have left me. I had hoped my kids would be in church. I had, had hoped my parents would be together. I had hoped that person wouldn't have treated me like that. Sometimes our reality is far from our hope. And in the midst of it, we get disappointed, distracted. Some of us, you know, rather than dealing with the reality that we're living in, that it's so far from what we're hoping for, we distract ourselves with loads of stuff. If I just binge watch constantly, then I won't have to think about the pain that I'm in. If I just kind of keep myself incredibly busy on this kind of treadmill of life, then I won't have to stop and think about the lack of that I've got right now. Or addiction. Often when you look at the root of what it often starts with an addiction to anything, whether it's substance or anything else, it starts with a, a, a lack of hope and a reality that's so far away from what they wanted to happen. And I'm not just kind of trivializing these things, but these are the realities that some of us are stuck in. Or we get dissatisfied with life, we become numb to stuff because actually protecting our heart is better than keeping hoping because a hope that's not realized is painful. Or sometimes we get angry. Anger gets in here. Well, if God really does love me, if God really is who he says he is, then why am I not healed yet? Either he's bad or he doesn't like me or he's not real. And so anger and bitterness gets in. Quickly, shame gets in. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe that's why God's not providing for me. Maybe I've messed up in some way. And do you see this gap can get filled with so much stuff, so much junk that is not of God. I wonder what would happen if we put Jesus in there. I'm not just talking like a wishy-washy, like, let's just pray it, say our prayers in the morning and kind of, you know, then live our lives. But I'm saying, honestly, if in the midst of between here and here, Jesus is here, because that's what this story is, that, that Jesus is there in the midst of this pain. I love that, that Jesus is with them. And then there's this moment where he breaks bread and it's like suddenly, oh, my goodness, it's him. Maybe it's the way he prayed. Maybe it's the way he broke bread. Maybe it's just that they just suddenly had let go of some of the things that were blocking their view before and suddenly they'd, they'd seen that Jesus is here. And I wonder sometimes if we look back on our disappointments, on our lack, whether we start to see things a little bit differently. Because I bet the conversation that followed after Jesus had gone was like, oh, I mean, can you imagine you've talked about someone for three hours and then you realize that person is the one that you're walking with. That's awkward. You'd start replaying that conversation over quite often, wouldn't you? I wonder if they're like, oh, when we said this. Yeah, we start to feel, our hearts start to burn. We start to look back and think, oh, Jesus, when I was disappointed, when I was dissatisfied, when I was angry even, Jesus, you were there. You know, I did this as a preparing this message and thinking about all the times when I've been disappointed, where my hope is not where my reality is right now. And I started to think a little bit about it. I started to think about the time when I was in hospital two weeks ago. And as I was, when I was, we were driving, or Louise was driving us, because then was the other side of the country, I started to remember that, that texts started to come from friends saying scriptures that I'd read recently. I started to remember that in the midst of the hospital, suddenly we started to get the right doctors. We were seeing really quickly. I started to see Jesus moving things together. And now, because of things that have happened, we're in 
in a, a, a kind of clinical trial type thing that is a 74-week wait, the doctor said to us this week. 74 weeks. We've got in within three weeks. God can make things work together. Sometimes it doesn't look the same. And I remember the time when I was pregnant with Noah just before he was born and they started to induce me. There was all sorts of problems and they sent Ben away. I remember sitting in the bathroom thinking, I, I can't cope with this. And it's the, the worst sort of panic attack type moment I've ever had in my life, thinking I might die, he might die, I don't know what's going to happen. And I remember in that moment the, the presence of the Holy Spirit greater than I've ever, ever felt before or since, where I felt physically like God is in the room with me holding me right now. I remember he was there. It didn't change the fact that there was difficulties, but he was there in the midst of it. I remember the day that I got a phone call that was that was awful and changed my future and just so disappointing, so not what I wanted my reality to be. I remember instantly when that happened, that morning I'd read Psalm 90. I'd read it several times over and over again. I felt like the Holy Spirit kept saying, keep reading it, keep reading it. I remember thinking, I need to go to work, but this is what it says. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say, the Lord, he is my refuge and he is my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And that just kept straight, back to my mind, straight away. Straight, and I was like, where is this from? And I remember that's Jesus. His word is in me. And so often what happens is we walk through things and it hurts. This world is nasty sometimes. People make stupid mistakes. People die sometimes. Things are painful. And I love this picture that Jesus isn't standing by watching with his arms folded and saying, well, get on with it then. But he's there walking with them in the middle of them. He's there in the disappointment. He's there in the dissatisfaction. He's there in the pain. He's not absent from it. He's walking with the people through the circumstance. I remember the time that I felt so physically uh, overwhelmed with stuff that I remembered the conversation I last had with that person when I, I, uh, uh, when I felt so physically overwhelmed with the situation that happened. That night I went to sleep and thought, I'm never going to sleep because this is happening. And it's like a thing playing over and over and over and over again in my head. That night I had a dream about a Bible story that I'd forgotten all about. Forgotten all about, and God gave me a word in that dream that I've held on to now for two and a half years. That I go back to on a daily basis of no, no, this is what the reality says right now, but my hope is in that one day, one day something changes. Remember the time that I found out my friend had passed away totally unexpectedly and feeling completely overwhelmed, completely burnt out, completely broken by it. And I remember the last conversation instantly when we found out she'd passed away. I had this memory of the last conversation of her saying, yeah, but I'm so thankful what God has done. I'm so thankful I get to see this. God is in the midst of disappointment. He's not absent. He's not, he's not kind of flippant about it. He's not just kind of, well, crack on with it and see what you do. The Bible says this in Hebrews 6 verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. And I just felt like an anchor is something that pulls two things together in a storm. I wonder if Jesus became, rather than this kind of the disappointment came in the gap, I wonder if we could allow Jesus to be the anchor that holds the thing together to say right now okay you can't see the hope because your reality is so loud but if you just put Jesus in to anchor it and to hold it together it changes things suddenly you think okay it's not as bleak as it was the reality sometimes is still difficult and Jesus gets that I mean he sat in the garden of Gethsemane and wept 
and said, I don't want this to happen. That Jesus understands pain, and I love that. When you've ever been left or you felt hurt in some way, Jesus understands it. He's not a God who's absent. He's a God who understands pain and has had pain himself. And so when we go to him and say, I feel hurt or rejected, I feel that this is unfair, he knows and he hears and he understands. Now, I was thinking about trees in our garden. And, you know, when what happens with trees is they have this season called autumn. And when autumn comes, the leaves fall. And I wonder if the trees could talk, whether they'd say, oh gosh, I don't, oh, this is painful. It feels like everything's dying and then falling away. And then what happens after autumn is winter. And winter, things get from bad to worse. Because suddenly in winter, it's really bleak. Nothing's growing. Nothing's happening. It's just gray. At best, there's a bit of snow. It makes it look a bit prettier, but really nothing's growing. But is something growing underneath? We can't see it, but something's happening. Something's shaking. And when you look now, when you're driving or when you're walking, you can start to see signs of life again. The snowdrops are coming through. The daffodils are starting to come through. Life is starting to come back. But in the autumn, that seems impossible to believe that it can happen because it looks so bleak. And I wonder sometimes if we're walking through things and it feels like, God, where are you? I don't understand what's happening right now. I wonder if some of us are in autumn seasons where we feel like, gosh, you are taking things away from me right now. And I want to hold on to them. But God's saying, just trust me, something's going to happen. Something is going to change. Something will get better. There will be a breakthrough that comes that one day you'll understand autumn had to happen for spring to come. Autumn had to happen to clear things out for summer to come. Sometimes stuff has to go from your life for other things to come in and make way, things that are better. And so when Jesus is talking to the, to the, the disciples and he's saying, look, didn't he say something's going to have to happen? But to them, it couldn't have looked like that because that's not what they imagined. But sometimes God is doing something that we can't understand or imagine. But we've got to learn to trust somehow in this, God, you're here. I want to tell you three really quick ways that we do that. Three really quick ways. First thing is this. We need to look. We need to fix our eyes. This series is called Greater. And the greater for this is that we need to have a greater awareness that God is with us. Oh, it's really easy at church. I mean, it's amazing when Rich is leading worship and Ruth is leading worship. We can have a great awareness that God's here because we can we sing it, we hear it, we feel it. There's the right music. There's the right kind of atmosphere. But when you're sat in a hospital room being given a diagnosis, look that somehow Jesus is here in this. Look for him. The disciples were so overwhelmed with what they were going through. They hadn't looked up from what their circumstance was. The Bible says this in Hebrews 12 too. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. See where he is. What is he doing? Understand somewhere in us the Holy Spirit's here. And it may feel incredibly hard. And there are seasons that are incredibly hard. But we need to look somehow God's in this. When I was sat in hospital two weeks ago with Noah, I had this revelation. And this is when I started to actually write this message. And I didn't even know I was preaching this week. I started to look and think somehow. And I had to almost fight my own emotions and soul. Those of you with Mark Ritchie this week fight my own soul to say somewhere in this God is doing something and I can't see it but I'm going to keep believing that somehow God is working this together for the good and so I chose right now to stand in the hope rather than the reality 
You have a lack of choices with many things that happen to you. You can't choose who stays, who goes. You can't choose some of your relationship things that have gone through. You can't choose people's opinions. But you can choose. I fix my eyes on Jesus and I'll fight for it. I'll fix my eyes and keep believing, keep pressing in. Band, if you want to come. The second thing is this, talk. I believe that therapy is good. I have a therapist that um, some of our team sometimes see. I think it's good, especially if they're Christians, even better. I think that's good. But there is something that happens when you talk to people of faith. Sometimes you need to talk to people of faith who will help you see that Jesus is in it. Any numpty can point out the problem. Anyone can say, oh, that's a shame. Anyone can say, it's really hard right now. Anyone can point out that somebody passing away is awful. So anyone can point out that your parents breaking up is painful. Anyone can point out that, that this illness is difficult for you to navigate. But what we need is people who will say, actually, I can help you see that in the midst of this, somehow Jesus is there. Somehow that, that God is doing something. Somehow Jesus hasn't left you. He doesn't forsake you. When we were driving over to hospital, with Noah two weeks ago. I love that. I just put something on a group uh, chat that I have with a few ladies in church. And within two minutes, I had texts of people with, pro with, uh, with scriptures, with reminders of, hey, come on, God gave you a word at rise. We're going to stand on that word. We're not going to believe this. We're going to start believing these things. I had people praying for me. You need those people. The reason we bang on about life groups isn't because we think it's a good idea. We think it's a God idea. You need people who will stand with you when things are hard. You need people who will stand with you and believe that things will change. Sometimes we don't have faith for ourselves. I love the story of the, the men who lowered the guy through the roof. We need some of those sorts of friends in our lives who will say, okay, right now you can't get yourself to Jesus, but I'll get you there. I may have to drag you on a mat, but I'm getting you there to the presence of Jesus. And I wonder if those parts of the man when he's been dragged there was saying to, to the, his friends, I mean, this is a bit stupid, this is a bit much. Like maybe you should just leave me, maybe just go on ahead. Maybe, I mean, I've, I've been through this thing before, it never works. But I love that these four men were like, we're taking you. You haven't got a choice right now. We're taking you. We're getting you to Jesus. You need people who will get you to Jesus. And the third thing is this. So we look, we talk, and we cling. The Bible says this. Psalm 34, verse 18. He is close to the brokenhearted. In a storm, stay close. And anchors keep you upright in a storm. Don't drift. Don't drift so much into reality, reality that you miss the hope that's set before you, the hope that is Jesus. I love Jesus' response in this walk. And the more I study it, the more I read about it, the more I see that, um, that Jesus is doing something incredible. He's not saying to them as he's walking, I mean, come on, guys, get it together. Have you not seen who I am? He's not saying, maybe if you had more faith, you'd understand stuff. He's not berating them. He's not criticizing them. What he's doing is he's just walking with them and listening to them. He's listening to them. He doesn't say, just cheer up. He doesn't invalidate their trauma. He doesn't say, you think it was hard for you. Try being the one that was on the cross. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know, it must have been so difficult for you standing there watching me. But what he says is, and then what happened? And then what happened? And he listens as they pour out their hearts, as they talk through what they saw, as they walk through the pain that they walk through. He starts to just listen and listen and listen. And one of the best things that you can do in the middle of a storm is talk to Jesus and have an awareness, a greater awareness of God. You're here somehow. 
You are somehow here in the midst of this. And I will fight. I will talk things of faith. I will cling on to your word and know that somehow you're in this. Their reality was so different to what they expected from weeks before. And, and even in the midst of them understanding it with Jesus, it was still the reality that was about to come was even better. But sometimes we have our hope and it's based in a moment happening. You know, I'll feel hope when I get married. I'll feel hope when I own my own house. I'll feel hope when I'm finally healed. I'll feel hope when I'm not anxious anymore. I'll feel hope when I can finally sleep properly. Then I'll feel hope. But they realized, hang on, their hope was based in the wrong place. Hope based in a moment is not great hope. Hope based on a person is great hope. The person being Jesus. Their reality was so different. It was so much better. It was about to get even better. He didn't just say, just suck it up. He understood this is painful. This hurts. But I'm with you. And I promise you, keep hoping. Because change is coming. Keep hoping change is coming. You don't have to just stay with your eyes fixed on reality right now. Start to allow yourself to hope again. Start to believe God again. Some of us have, have limited our hope. We had hope. We're like these people. We had hoped. But then reality said something different. What about if reality is not it? What if the hope is it? We don't live by the natural. We live by the supernatural. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus, not the reality. If they just looked up, if they'd looked up and seen, oh my goodness, it's him. But they were so consumed by their sickness, so consumed by their, their circumstance, so consumed by their lack that they missed that he was there in the midst of it. And my encouragement to you is this, look up. Look back. See, oh, he was there before. And raise our awareness of, gosh, you have never left me. You have walked with me every moment, every step you've been there. And sometimes it's hard when, when emotions are high. And, and I love that it didn't happen instantly for these people. There was hours they walked with Jesus, not, not aware. But then they looked up and they were like, oh, it's him. And I wonder for some of us if we need a look up moment, a look back moment of, oh, Jesus, you were there when that happened. You were there all the days of my life. No moment has been hidden from you. He's a gracious and a good and a kind God who walks with us in disappointment, walks with us in pain. We're going to worship again. And if you know you need to respond, ministry team, we're going to be on hand to pray with you. Jesus is, is so many different ways. He is the line of Judah. You know, he, he is almighty. He is the incredible king of kings and lord of lords. But he's also a gentle guy who walks with these unnamed people when they needed him. And he sees your pain. He is not absent. Talk to him. Walk with him. Be aware that he's with you in this. It doesn't mean instantly it changes, but it means look for him. It makes it easier. And if you want prayer this morning, we're going to give you an opportunity in a minute as we worship. Just come to the front. Ministry team and, and team on the front. If you're not being prayed for yourself, let's pray for people. But before we do that, let's close eyes in this place. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.